do, do we want to just hand this to him and then say, hey, we'll jump on a record. Does, does this work? Yes, let's point. do that. Yeah, let's do that. Ask him. Yeah, let's do that. Pass over to him and say, hey, is there anything in here that is actually useful? We can record a little intro of the challenge. So do we want to do this topic? Should we just do it really quick and riff on it? Let's just do it now and let Alex edit things down. I'm sure we do. We need to do an intro or should we just start talking? Let's just start talking. My name is Ian McShane, I'm VP of Strategy here at Arctic Wolf and welcome to the Challenge Accepted podcast, the Hot Take Coffee Break Edition, where we talk about all things security. And hi, I'm Adam Marais, CISO of Arctic Wolf. So whether you're a beginner or an experienced security professional, we hope you'll join us in our Hot Take Coffee Break Edition as we talk about some of the latest news and things that we're reacting to in the security world. Let's get into it. So I'll just like to set the table on this. Um, really interesting that the Surgeon General of the United States came out with a report saying that social media may harm children and adolescents. And this is a- I'm shocked at it, I'm shocked. Yeah, shocker, (laughs) right? Yeah, I mean, this is a a reflection of research that's been going on for, you know, years and years now, and hundreds and hundreds of uh, different studies across different data sets are really starting to show show this and the, the data is really interesting to look at you go and look and you'll see a hockey stick of you know self-reporting of uh you know mental health issues by young people and so so and, and i mean it's like a hockey stick and of course where, where does the hockey stick start it starts right around 2010 2012 yeah. right mm-hmm. right when you know iphones and other smartphones blew up Hyperconnection, connection right? everyone's connected all the time right absolutely and that was the time when i really think a lot of the social media applications started to dial in their algorithms mm-hmm. so you're getting that effect as well and those two things combined um you know along with all the other psychological techniques that these apps use to keep people you know with their eyes glued to the app uh have created a huge change and it's it's something that a lot of researchers uh have noticed and of course, now they've done study after study that show this, but not just the correlative stuff. So not just, hey, the timing is correlative, but also they look at and say, and, and not just are kids more comfortable talking about mental health, which they are, but there's actually objective measures they can look at, and, mm-hmm. you know, and they have and some of it's in the report. And these are like hospitalizations for self-harm, mm-hmm. you know, actual suicide attempts, things like this that are objective measures that can show and support. Um, the concern here, the concern that, you know, maybe unleashing this social media technology on our young people and our vulnerable people, especially kids like going through puberty and forming their self vision mm-hmm. of themselves, their self identity is maybe something we want to think about <laughs> uh, more does deeply this, than, than what we're doing right now. Does, so, this, does the Surgeon General talk about or mention or does that report mention anything about what's the actual the actual underlying cause is the fact that more information about it is available. So people are talking about, to your point, like self-harm, and that's introducing the idea of self-harm into people's, you know, young people's train of thought, or is it more the pressures 
bullying, that kind of thing over social media that's leading to it? So I, the the report, I'll, I'll admit, I haven't read the entire thing, although I've read a lot of the studies that underline some of the conclusions they're drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it goes into that in depth. Yeah. And that's definitely something that is in the conversation is the mm-hmm. copycat issue. Yeah. But, but again, that's just reinforcing the problem with... Mm-hmm. You know, social media is one of them is that there's this copycat issue. There, there are others, though. Um, one that's mo- one of the most intriguing to me is the displacement issue, which is where you're actually just it's simply displacing good activities or important <laughs> activities for people with time glued to the screen, doom scrolling yeah. or whatever. Right. So, yeah. And that's everything from sleep, which we all know is really important for mental health. Mm-hmm. But it could be also, you know, building uh, the skills to make friends and deal with uncomfortable situations and all, all the kinds of, you know, skill building that you need um, by going out and having social interaction. And a lot of that's mm-hmm. limited now because you're, you're, you're getting that interaction in a different, you know, from a different medium, which maybe isn't helping you build the same skills and yeah. mechanisms and things that, that most people build. So the hard part is that the, the operating systems, the device manufacturers, the, the tools themselves, they don't make it easy for people with parental responsibility to be able to control or manage or I don't have any oversight of the, you know, the stuff that young people are doing with those things. Like Chang earlier, like I'm, I'm, I've gone through iterations of family controls on, you know, Microsoft products for things like Xbox and for Windows, even for iOS. Uh, PlayStation, the stuff that they put in for family controls just doesn't seem to be designed by anyone that's ever had a family or ever needed to be able to to put these controls into practice. Like they don't make sense to me as someone who prides themselves on being a nerd and being able to figure out what all this this stuff means. And so that kind of brings it back around to the, some of the topics we talked about before about how how important it is for user experience to be taken into consideration around security controls and risk controls, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to bring this back to more of the security mindset, not just the you know mm. health and well being of folks. Yeah, those those controls are really important, and not. I mean, we have data security issues, right? Which is usually yep. what. I would talk about social media, not necessarily the mental health effects, but there's that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the controlling that or trying to oversee the action of minors, especially those under your care, your kids, or you know what have you, trying to be able to help them be in that online world and be in that online world safely is a very difficult thing to do. I mean, obviously, this is a hotbed for scams <laughs> and there's yeah. scams that affect kids. You know, and you have kids taking their parents' debit cards and whatever and making, you know, huge payments or, or, and, and to your point, there, there was a situation here uh, in the state where I live in Utah, where a kid was, um, you know, a teenager, young teenager was actually taken, right. And taken from his home, but he voluntarily left with an older man and they had an inappropriate relationship and they were found, you know, in Kansas or something mm-hmm. in the middle of the country a few, a few days later. And you would think, you know, the story, you would think, oh, this maybe was a kid who was in the foster system or underprivileged or broken home or whatever. None of those things are true. You have this kid, a great parents, very involved, like you, knew the technology. They were watching everything, but it just came down to he had a headset. I don't know if it was an Oculus Rift or something like that. And he was mm-hmm. playing, I, I believe, the game Roblox in the headset. And that is where this person was able to find a place where he could talk to and groom <laughs> Mm-hmm. This this young boy, this teenager, 
without the parents knowing about it because they checked everywhere else. They read DMs and texts on phones and they did all that, but they just didn't realize that there was the ability to text inside this headset. So it, it is a very difficult. It's, it's hard. Uh, yeah. You need that constant, parents. like you need that constant vigilance. Like it's almost, almost dare I say, like enterprise security, right? You need that constant vigilance of what is, what is the risk? What's the risk going on here? And, you know, frankly, we, we see it day to day, Adam, it's like employees at security companies don't always understand the risk. And it's the same with parents don't understand the full risk everywhere. And it's almost like, a, oh, it, it won't happen to us or it won't happen to me. Absolutely. And I mean, it's like letting our kids, I, like there are certain places in this world, you wouldn't just let your kids walk yeah. around in public. Mm -hmm. You know, you wouldn't just say, hey, go to Times Square or some, you know, mm -hmm. some other pl very public place and just say, hey, just walk around and talk to anybody you want to. And that's kind of what we're doing with social media in a lot of ways. And especially yeah. the way some parents just kind of let their kids do whatever they want on there for as long as they, as they can. But I think there are many more, like you said, they want it, they, they want to facilitate yeah. this activity in a safe way, but the tools they're given are really just not up to the task. And then mm -hmm. there's all the training and the vigilance and time that it requires. It's just, it makes it a really <laughs> losing scenario for someone trying yeah. to do the right thing. It really does. On the, on the topic of it will never happen to me. Like one of the, that used to be one of the stories I'd hear a lot, like working in, you know, especially in antivirus 10, 15 years ago, I would get organizations that would be saying, oh, you know, I don't need to necessarily invest too much in this because, you know, no one's going to attack me. No one's going to, I've got nothing worthwhile. No one's going to want anything from me. And then <laughs> are, are, you, are you familiar with the band Smashing Pumpkins? From the 90s Adam. of course i am, of course <laughs> right, cool. I am. i'm just, just checking if you're cool or not right but i, I, I noticed that I, I read this um i guess it was an article based on a podcast that um smashing pumpkins newest album came out this year and they had some kind of cyber attack where some of the the songs were stolen and essentially it seems like billy corkin was being held to ransom like having to pay actually having to pay out of his own pocket to stop someone um, releasing them early, which is a pretty interesting um, shift of affairs when you think in, from the point, of, uh, the point of view of it will never happen to me. I think I can't remember the last time I heard of a music act that was impacted by cybersecurity other than, well, I don't know, the cybersecurity is really Ticketmaster's nonsense, but that's the technology <laughs> that I'm used to hearing when, when things go up in arms. I, I really, I would love to have been the duty agent at the FBI the day that Billy Corgan calls the FBI to say, hey, somebody stole my songs. That would have just been a very interesting conversation uh, for whatever person picked up the phone at the FBI yeah. office that day. I don't know if uh, I would have been so, able to keep it professional. I would have been, hey, can I get a quick photo, Billy, while, while we're on it? Any chance you can play me these songs real quick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but, but it, it really does go to show that there is, in today's cybersecurity threat landscape there really isn't anyone mm -hmm. that is you know too small to be attacked or just not a target it's it's really about if you're online people have a way to monetize something that you have access to whether it be just your information family photos on your home computer and that gets locked up be it your life savings and someone's going to try to sort of catfish you through, through that mm -hmm. sort of social engineering yep. uh, mechanism, or it could be they want access to what you do in your work life or what your parents do or what your spouse does. And they're going to attack you through personal accounts to try to leapfrog and pivot into 
that executive at that company or someone who has access that they want. There, there's just so many different ways. And now with you know cryptocurrency coming out a number of years ago, being making some of this monetization easier for the attackers, there just really isn't anyone that is beyond cybersecurity or, or where it doesn't matter to them, unless they're truly a Luddite who is off um, <laughs> technology <laughs> altogether. And yeah. if they're doing that, more power to them. I salute them. That's great. Yeah, but absolutely. For the rest of us, I mean, there is a basic level of cybersecurity knowledge that everyone needs to have. And I, I don't think we're doing a good enough job getting everyone educated mm-hmm. uh, on it. One of, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, traditionally journalists, well, maybe not in cyber, but, you know, journalists in general aren't necessarily the most trusted of people. But it almost feels like in today's threat landscape to use a phrase that i hate can't believe i said that out loud <laughs> you know but in, in you know today's age it feels like it's even it's more important than ever that security incidents are reported in the news and transparency should rule because not only does it help you know people learn about what's happening it doesn't it not only keeps the other organizations from falling for the same traps but it keeps people honest about what's happening with their business with their the data that they're holding, right? And I'm thinking specifically of a, a, an incident in the UK that happened to an outsourcing company called Capita. And so, you know, they deal with a, a lot of different things um, from background checks for the police, these kind of things. So they've got sensitive data and there's been this ongoing ransomware incident they've been dealing with for, it must be a couple of months now, where like all good incidents the first thing they said was yeah we don't think there's any data access we don't think there's anything been leaked and everything is falling apart like the onion has well and truly been opened so how do you as someone coming from the fbi side of things what what is the law enforcement guidance that's given to organizations that have these kind of breaches are are they advised to not say anything publicly are they advised to and is there a playbook they should be following or does it come down to legal counsel is it all about insurance and risk really yeah, this is such a difficult question. There's no easy answer. And I, and in a lot of ways, law enforcement has to stay out of whether or not, unless there's a regulatory or mm-hmm. uh, legal requirement that someone has to report, they have to kind of stay out of the conversation because they don't want to create liability for mm-hmm. their agency or anything for telling somebody to do something that they shouldn't. They can offer an opinion like, hey, you know, maybe this would work, but they have to be really careful unless there's actual obligations to inform people or inform the public about mm-hmm. you know what happened and a lot of times when they when the fbi specifically is investigating but other agencies they'll say don't say anything now because we're still investigating yeah. we want sure. bad guys to know so but the larger question you're bringing up is to what level of transparency do organizations should they have when they have an incident is a really murky question <laughs> because i i always err on the side of transparency mm-hmm. because ironically oftentimes being more transparent will build trust yeah between the public and you of this is what's really going on but the problem we have as sort of a global cyber society online is uh we're, we're just too into blaming the victim right now Blame, for yeah. mm-hmm. for issues that happen now some of that's well-founded because someone is, you know, being absolutely derelict in their duty to try to protect the data and things like that. And that's, that's definitely a problem that we want to solve is making sure that everyone has a baseline of security and security practice in their organization. But ironically, that, that name and shame that's happening when, when companies aren't, aren't doing the right things is the very 
thing that is cooling the the ability for companies to come out and say, hey, we had an event because yeah. immediately, you know, the value hit. So we're, are we doing the right thing for shareholders, you know, and for the company itself? And then, you know, they could lose business over it. And there, there's all of these things to consider when making that decision. Again, I like to be transparent. I love to be transparent, but there's some real world consequences for transparency, especially with stuff where you got to admit that you didn't, you didn't have the right thing in place. Somebody did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it does kill me though. The companies that are willing to throw the intern under the bus, like oh, the intern didn't change the password or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that's I, I, the difficulty when people are trying to figure out what the right thing to do here mm-hmm. is. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree. My, as an, as an outsider, I never had to deal with the law enforcement side of things. Like, and as, as a consumer of this kind of stuff, I, I'm kind of leaning towards some kind of governance. Like, there should be rules and regulations about what has to be disclosed and when, so that you can at least follow a timeline. So there's less guessing. Because at the moment, like over the weekends, Heathrow Airport, right, the E gates, the you know, the automated customs thing all went down and everyone's first thought is, oh, it's got to be ransomware. Like, oh, the, the whole thing's broken. And, it, it, you know, it, it caused chaos and, you know, took a couple of days to come back up. And there's been, as far as I'm aware, no root cause analysis, at least nothing discussed. But as soon as there's any incident that takes anything down, whether it's a website, whether it's a service, whether it's, you know, a TV station, whatever, it's um, the immediate thought is not, oh, something's broken. It's like, oh, there's a cyber attack. And, you know, I, I, as much as I don't want government oversight into everything, and, you know, I very much believe in, you know, keeping them at arm's length where, ne- where possible, there has to be some way of, like, at least controlling or forcing organizations to follow the same playbook when it comes to communicating what's going on. Right? Do you think that makes sense? No, a- absolutely, it makes sense. And but the the balance oh, that you're struggling with there is the balance everyone is struggling with. We don't want so much regulation that we're like stifling innovation and the ability for businesses to do business, right? But is this important yeah. enough though that we and, need that kind of thing? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And on the other hand, we're we're definitely not doing enough. Like we've probably erred too far on that side. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at. There right now is a pretty significant uh, concern among senior executives, CISOs, mm-hmm. uh, especially across, you know, certainly in the United States, but across the world about the responsibility and the accountability for incidents. You look at the uh, former Uber CISO mm-hmm. uh, who was, you know, just sentenced recently in the United yeah. States. Yeah. Um, and and there's some there's some particularities to that that are are unique to the situation that Twitter um, uh, or Uber was in at the time. Uh, but the effect is still the same in that uh, it has everybody thinking, what is my responsibility? And if I make decisions and i'm I'm guided by legal counsel, CEO signs off on it, all of these things. Yet, is the CISO still the one that's holding the bag? And they don't have mm-hmm. the same kind of corporate legal protections traditionally that other executives have. Mm-hmm. And so, regulations that would clearly outline when something needs to be reported and when it doesn't would also help protect them, making it so that they could be more clear on what exactly their responsibility is mm-hmm. when a breach or some sort of security event happens. 
And right yeah. now that murkiness is causing people to, I think, conflate a very specific issue um, with, uh, you know, with Joe Sullivan in particular, mm-hmm. with, you know, every other breach that happens and decisions CISOs are making. Um, I don't think any of these situations are cut and dried. And yeah. uh, it, it, it makes, it definitely makes when, when to report something and how to report it, really difficult decision to make. Yeah, it doesn't help when you see organizations that do a really fast and good job of being open about the security incidents they had. Like there was the the Dragos one a couple of weeks ago where I think it was almost was it less than 24 hours later, they had a blog post that explained exactly what happened. Obviously, those guys and girls do DFIR for a living. So it's a little bit you know more familiar to them. But they had the entirety of the attack chain all the way from you know, the, the root cause, which was a compromised new employee having credentials sent to them. And they had everything very well documented, very, very fast to show exactly what happened and what didn't happen. And so when you have those kind of benchmarks to stand up against or to compare to, it makes it almost like makes everyone look bad when when the incident happens and everyone is going to have a security incident at some point. right? Yeah. And I mean, what a, what a great blog post. So clearly written, so mm-hmm. much shown on the attack and also highlighting an attack vector. I never thought where of that. somebody Which is yeah, compromises yeah. an employee before they join the job on their personal mm-hmm. computer. Cause you're almost always using a personal device mm-hmm. for that first initial sign up and using that as a vector. I mean, brilliant on the, on the attacker side, right? Really, really good way to get in. I, I think with this one, it was, I mean, I think it was maybe a little bit of a humble brag in that, or, or just in a way where sure. they did catch it. They caught it within hours. They were mm-hmm. able to remediate before anything really bad happened. I'm wondering at, and I'm, Dragos is an incredible company. They're great people. So I'm not casting any shade on them. I'm just saying mm-hmm. for any company, even one willing to be as transparent as they are with this and as highly skilled as they are with this, like if something really bad had happened, would it have been the same response? Right. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is really a, this is really a victory story. This is really like, yeah, we, I mean, yeah, this bad thing happened, but we caught it and, you know, we prevented anything worse from happening. I think the really hard decisions come when the baggers actually get in. That's yeah. They get the data. I, yeah. And now, and now you got to like, what do you do at that point? Like that's, that's the question. That was going to be my point as well. I think they did a great job of communicating what happens and opening eyes to a, a an attack vector that I bet, you know, a lot of organizations hadn't really thought of. And, you know, it reminded me of when I joined my last three companies, like everything DocuSign, email credentials, everything was sent to my personal email address, um, which, could have been compromised by anyone if they had replied and said, "Oh, can you actually ship the device to?" The-? In fact, one of my one of my jobs that I joined, in fact, I'll, I won't give the time frame, but I was traveling when I on my first day, and so they had to ship my laptop to a hotel that I was staying at, which you know. I'd met them on Zoom and spoke to them in person on Zoom. And so, you know, they knew it was me that was requesting this, but, you know, shipping a corporate device to a, a vacation hotel is probably not, not within the T's and C's of, of IT's acceptable use, right? Yeah, probably not, not the, not the greatest idea, but you know, like you said, if you can I mean, double, triple verify, it maybe, but, maybe it's okay. Yeah. But it's, it's but one of those things. Risky, like, how risky maneuver, maneuver, yeah. you know they could have done that as well the, the attacker could have done that as well but but to your to your overarching point on this i do think that making it more clear what is reportable what should be reported mm-hmm. across all the different regulations and even if we can get closer to like you know almost a global standard on this that 
we understand this is when people report and we can get to a point where we're less quick to immediately blame the company for their incompetence or lack of security and all of that. I mean, security is hard. We know it. I think we can get to a place where there would be more transparency, more information sharing between companies, more open information mm-hmm. sharing, like in the Dragos example, and that would help us. It's easy to say that though, but to get to a framework that's workable in the yeah. details, that's where the devil is. I mean, it's it's just a really difficult. Well, it's the same thing like privacy. It's just a really difficult thing to get right. Well, this is every scenario out there. Like this is the thing. Like everything's difficult, but and both of both you and I are on the same page around you know victim blaming and you know accidents happen and you know security is going to security whatever happens. Adversaries are going to adverse. <laughs> whatever happens <laughs> but, the, but the thing is like something someone has to be accountable somewhere right there has to be some kind of accountability and so i'm not going to ask you to tell me who should be accountable but that, that's what i've been thinking about recently is when you think of all of these things you know the joe sullivan stuff you think of uh capital you think of government breaches and things that have happened like who ultimately is accountable is it the person that makes a mistake genuine mistake there was no malice intended it was just something that happened? Is it the person that signed off on it that could be six or seven rungs, so to speak, up the ladder and has no oversight or control directly over what happens? Like, where does where does the accountability stop? Or is it, hey, we need some kind of accountability insurance that takes care of this for us? Yeah, I think part of the problem we have there is that the level of complexity is such that it's mm-hmm. difficult for us to um, understand what true due care is. And yeah. due diligence on something is like it's much easier in like in the physical security realm mm-hmm. right if someone breaks into a company and they're smashing glass and getting in everybody's not rushing to say well who is the physical security manager of that organization <laughs> he really dropped the ball you know he didn't do she didn't have the right locks on the doors yeah because there's an understanding of what general common practices now if it comes out in the story that all the doors were left open and you know, after hours and, you know, someone was let in, well, then maybe it looks like, okay, well, that was negligent on the part of the management and they would get in trouble. But we don't have a good sense for that in cybersecurity. Like what is a reasonable level of due care and due diligence? And I don't mean, I think we in the industry know we have a good idea, but I mean, we as a society, there isn't that sort of culture built around that where it's almost instinctual where people understand that they don't. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, is they just go, well, that person obviously must not have been doing their job. And, you know, they don't understand how the attack happened. They don't understand what was uh, exploited. If it was something that was super sophisticated that required a nation state level support, or if it was just some script kitty doing an easy thing, those details don't come out, but we're just automatically blaming the company along with everything else. Um, And I think we need to get to a better place where we understand and we can make better decisions as a public as we look at these events. But I, I think we're a long way off from that. <laughs> it I think we're like, a long way off from that. It sounds like cybersecurity is in its teenage years of, Mom, you just don't understand. Yeah. I, I, I just think Maybe that's the title for the podcast today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Mom, you just don't. Parents just don't understand or whatever. <laughs> Great word uh, song. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I... I mean, I'm, I'm opining on these things, but I think we're a long way off. I think you're right. I think we, we, we do need to get it right. Um, but I think it's until we do, it's going to be one of the reasons why uh, organizations are more reluctant to be transparent and open about what's happening to them. Yeah, that sucks. There's another podcast title for you. Yeah, that sucks. 
Yeah, yeah, that sucks. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs>